0: Only if we had some such function would a contact between us and such unknown races be other than a calamity. If indeed we were unfallen, it would be another matter. It sets one dreaming, to interchange thoughts with beings whose thinking had an organic background wholly different from ours, other senses, other appetites, to be unenviously humbled by intellects possibly superior to our own, yet able for that very reason to descend to our level, to descend lovingly ourselves if we met innocent and childlike creatures who could never be as strong or as clever as we, to exchange with the inhabitants of other worlds that especially keen and rich affection which exists between unlikes. It is a glorious dream. But make no mistake, it is a dream. We are fallen.
1: out last time that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self.
0: Welcome to the Inklings Variety Hour where fans and scholars of C S Lewis, J.R.R. Tolkien, Charles Williams, Owen Barfield, maybe, and others discuss their works and lives. I'm Chris Pipkin, and with me today I have Jordan Duncan from the podcast devoted to Lewis's lesser known writings, aptly named Lesser Known Lewis. How you doing, Jordan? Hey, I'm feeling stellar today. Which Whoa. is pun intended. That's awesome. I can't top you. So, which which uh, you're feeling stellar? Which lesser-known mm-hmm. work by Lewis are we talking about today? Well, today we are talking about
1: his essay called "Religion and Rocketry," which also goes by a couple of other names. I think "Will We Lose God in Outer Space?" and then they went through the bother of changing the title to "Shall We Lose God in Outer Space?" I don't I don't <laughs> know what awesome. the reasoning was in those cases. But oh, right now you I can...
0: should, but I don't.
1: I was hoping you'd illuminate us here, but no. yeah, I think it's mostly found as religion and rocketry in most essay collections now.
0: Yeah. That nice alliterative title, right? I, I kind of like, will we lose God in outer space a little bit more because religion yeah. and, and rocketry makes me feel like we're going to be talking about more of the ins and outs of space travel than we do. And we kind of don't. I'm uh, never
1: a huge fan of his
0: titles. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes they're good. Like Out of the Silent Planet, I think, is a solid title. It makes me
1: think he didn't pick it, though, (laughs) based on other titles. Even Like in Chronicles of Narnia, his titles are either so on the nose and spoilers, Mm -hmm. or sometimes they're good. But a lot of his essay titles seem to be very on the nose and uninspiring or... Or just confusing, like, let's well, doesn't yeah. really talk about rockets at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like the seeing eye, right. Which mm-hmm. is, is along similar lines as this one, I think maybe, maybe a little bit better. I, I don't know. I couldn't tell if I was just feeling extra curmudgeonly while I was reading this or if I, or if I actually have like some real objections to what Lewis is saying here, it, it might, it might just be honestly that after reading. Out of the silent planet where he makes essentially the same case, but makes mm-hmm. it so imaginatively and beautifully. This is just so distilled and so sort of prose that it just kinda leaves me a little bit wanting. I don't I don't know. Sure, um, yeah. it's, um
1: it's definitely the you know, he has those Examples in meditation of the tool on the tool shed. No, in the tool shed meditation in the tool shed. He talks about the difference between looking at and looking along. Mm -hmm. And some scholar who I've forgotten, which it is now has pointed out that he usually has a book looking at a subject, and then he'll also write one looking along the same subject For example, the abolition of man's looking at a subject and that hideous strength is the looking along version of, of abolition of man. I think religion and rocketry and the seeing eye are the looking at versions of what out of the silent planet is looking along. And I'm sure there's some other looking at writings he did on, on the subjects from out of the silent planet, but these two essays for sure
0: are that yeah that's well said actually, uh, one of my first interviews uh, Jason Baxter, mind. the medieval mind of c s Lewis yeah, he talks a lot about that he and he talked a lot about that in in our interview it's such a really excellent book and and it i I literally just started it today.
1: It's so good. it's so good yeah, so um, far so
0: good yeah yeah i I really enjoyed talking with him and he's just brilliant, but he but yeah, he absolutely was talking about that how there's a Lewis is trying to engage our kind of imaginative and emotional sympathies, right? When he's mm-hmm. writing fiction to resurrect kind of states of mind in us that people in the past, especially medieval people might have enjoyed, right? That that maybe have dropped out of our, our minds. So he's got like mm-hmm. the philosophical defense for viewing the world that way, but then he's also got He's also engaging us at the heart level, mm-hmm. and as you, as you said as well, right? Looking, looking along. But uh, so this, uh, this religion rocketry, will we lose God in outer space? It was published in the Herald in 1958. And it was a response to, and Lewis mentions him in the, in the actual essay, response to Fred B. Hoyle, who was a Cambridge astronomer. He actually, Hoyle was the one who coined the phrase, the big bang.
1: Really? Uh, yeah, and he hmm.
0: rejected the big bang theory. He thought the universe oh. has always existed as it is. So maybe maybe it was coined as like kind of a mocking name for for the theory. But yeah, he's he, he's the one that came up with that with that phrase. He also believed that not only did aliens exist, but actually life on earth is the product of alien activity of some kind. So in the 70s he coins this idea which is sort of like it sort of places him firmly on the less respectable, sort of sort of fringy parts of science, despite the fact that he's like a, a great scientist in his own hmm. right, right? And and just like with J.B.S. Haldane, like these were these were guys that Lewis was kind of like taking shots at, who like yeah, maybe their philosophy was not great. Uh, I I certainly don't think their philosophy was as robust or as brilliant as as Lewis's, but they were brilliant men, and they discovered a lot of amazing things. They you know, definitely should not be defined simply by the fact that Lewis wrote against their ideas because they 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 accomplished a lot, even if, you know, ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't agree with the worldview. Mm-hmm. Uh, but
1: well, yeah. can I say that I actually think this essay is extremely important for people, Christians specifically, to consider? Now, because I do think in our lifetime, there will be, oh,
0: oh, sorry. You okay? Is it happening yeah, right you, now? You, <laughs> yeah, It's
1: happening. <laughs> sorry. You disappeared. And the, the, for some reason, the window that says open, like launch zoom meeting uh-huh. appeared over the window that the Zoom meeting's happening on, and I thought I got kicked out.
0: <laughs> Those dang aliens! And yeah, that's messing awesome. with us.
1: They don't want me to say what I'm about they to
0: don't. say. They don't. They don't. Let me. What was I saying? Within uh, our they, lifetime, we will see. Dot, dot, yeah, dot.
1: I'll say that again. That within our lifetime, we will have to face the claim that aliens are real. And I don't. I'm not saying this because I I agree with Hoyle, and I do think aliens are real. But I just can't it's too it would be too easy for any government on this planet right now to fake an alien encounter that or fake you know fake give fake evidence for support of aliens being real and we the common person i mean how are we gonna contradict what they're saying you know and i even and and i think that based on what we've seen in the world the last couple years it might be actually if any government wanted to stir things up politically or geopolitically, you know, you could have a virus cover the world. You could do world war three, you could attack whatever, or you could fake alien contact and throw everyone in chaos. And I just go, I think we have the technology to fake that at very least. And it wouldn't surprise me if someone somewhere really tried to put some strong evidence together that aliens are real, whether they are or not. And so I think this essay, as speculative as it is, might come in handy
0: in the near future. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. I think, so I think, one thing that I like about this essay, and perhaps this is not a feature of the evangelical world anymore, but the way I was raised was like, well, no, of course there are not aliens, right? Yeah. You know, God created earth. It's his chief creation. That's what the Bible says. The Bible does not mention aliens. Therefore there are no aliens. So We can exclude that sort of from the outset. I'm skeptical. About Mm -hmm. the idea that not necessarily that aliens exist, but the idea that we could actually ever make contact with them or they with us. Yeah. But I appreciate that, that Lewis, you know, Lewis is is open to the, yeah, maybe, maybe there are aliens, right? Maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe there are, there is life on other planets. We, it's, it's not something that we know and it's not something that we can know. Mm -hmm. And the Bible talks to us about, about things that are far, far more. For most of human history, practical than that, right, and mm-hmm. a lot of things also that can be applied to different situations. We certainly now find ourselves in situations that are quite different from the situations that existed in the first century A.D., right, or or in the you know hundreds of years B.C. that that preceded Christ, right, during which the Bible was written, and yet so much of it can be applied to you know even even though. The Bible did not predict the discovery of the Western hemisphere, right? Even though it mm, didn't, mm-hmm. uh, all kinds of things, it, it didn't predict. It's okay. It it gives us a, a, a sort of foundation for understanding the world, understanding ourselves, understanding most importantly, most especially God and salvation that can then be applied to you know a bunch of different scenarios, whether it's the advent of like the industrial revolution and the internet and and, and science and, and and whatever else you know or or whether it's aliens or you know or whatever yeah. But, but yeah that's 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 interesting honestly like i don't think that a people people are terribly ready to believe the government about anything and i think a lot of <laughs> people that like a lot of the people that right now are claiming uh-huh. that they know for sure aliens existed if the government suddenly came out as being very pro-alien would say uh-huh. like oh no the government's just faking stuff like, <laughs> that's true clearly yeah. there are no aliens yeah that's a I, good I point like they'd switch tax uh-huh. pretty quickly regardless of whether you know the government was lying or or whatever or who mm-hmm. the government is or or, mm-hmm. or whatever else but uh, yeah, or maybe they'd be like, finally, you listen to us, but yeah, uh, yeah. Have, have you ever heard someone object to the gospel on the grounds that there might be aliens? I actually have,
1: and it kind of surprised me. It was the week. So we covered this essay on our podcast early on in our first season and the week that we were preparing for it, I happened to be listening to a podcast and I think it was the Unbelievable podcast. And they had Richard Dawkins on it and he made a claim. I can't remember exactly now what the claim was, but it was something along the lines of, look, there are probably like, the probability is strong that there are aliens just mathematically with how big the world or the universe is. And therefore the probability that Christians are right about what they think they're right about is even smaller because it just goes to show that they that we as humans on this earth don't really know anything about the universe because statistically there's probably aliens out there. And so Christians shouldn't be so certain that about all these claims that they have that don't include aliens. So yeah, surprisingly, I have heard it made even recently by a prominent atheist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I feel like this is really philosophically poor argument to make because yeah, based on probability, of course, but like if God is a God who does miracles, then that kind of throws the probability. So, so it's, Mm -hmm. it's a, it's a kind of circular argument. And actually I would say, I just find the probability that there would even be another industrial revolution somewhere Mm -hmm. incredibly small. Mm -hmm. Most of human history our technological development has not resembled a diagonal line, right? Where things yeah. just like progressively get better and better and better throughout the however many hundreds of thousands of years, right? Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's like a line with like kind of a swoop at the end of it, at yeah. the, starting in around the 18th century, 19th century, right? And suddenly yeah. people get way richer and invent amazing, you know, amazing things. It's It's exceptional in human history that we have technology that we do and it's a result if you leave god out of the picture right it's got to do with this incredible confluence of like weird weird things that should never have come together right both Mm -hmm. both in terms of like people being allowed to freely experiment without um, you know, sort of governmental interference or even local interference from rulers. Capitalism is in there, a scientific revolution, the industrial revolution, all of these, all of these things kind of all sort of come together and suddenly humanity becomes this amazing laboratory where, where things just get kickstarted. And that happened if human existence is like 10 years, that happened yesterday, right? I, I mean, it happened so suddenly that I just find it really unlikely that all of those factors would come together. Number one, that there would be life on other planets and that conditions would be right for life to occur on other planets, right? Again, apart from God. Mm -hmm. Um, And and number two, that there would be some kind of a thing like the industrial and scientific revolution. And number three, that intelligent life would have the kinds of minds, the kinds of like monkey minds that are constantly experimenting and constantly trying new things, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe there would be some other way, right? That they would find their way into space or, or whatever else. But I just, I find the idea that we would one day make contact with aliens. And maybe I'm one of the fools that Lewis is talking about at the beginning of this essay that seizes upon new things as a proof of their faith. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the embarrassing people, but like, I feel like that would in some ways probably more prove that there was a God than that there wasn't. I don't know to me because, mm-hmm. because the, the odds are just so astronomically against you know, even in our own culture, the industrial revolution happening to say nothing of like life and all these other conditions, no matter how vast you make the universe. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, no, I think that uh, this essay is interesting for that reason, because Lewis isn't overly concerned about whether there are aliens or not. And, and rather he uses the opportunity of the discussion at hand, to then talk about things that he thinks are more important or more practical. And he uses it to to even, like you're saying, maybe correct or expand our understanding of things, because this argument, whether it's from Dawkins or whoever he had in mind, is based on probably a poor version of Christianity a not very well understood version of Christianity. And what's what's dangerous about that is that a lot of Christians don't have a very good understanding of Christianity. And so if, if these critics come along and make these claims that there's a scientific discovery that disproves Christian belief, or if aliens do show up and then people use that as proof that Christianity was wrong, those christians who don't have a, a good enough understanding of what it is they believe will be will be yeah discouraged by that will be convinced that they were wrong and lewis uses this hypothetical which is so far out there of are there aliens and what if there are aliens to then talk and help correct all of our understanding on what is it that we believe as christians and and expand maybe our view Like you said, for example, one of the things he says is actually that would, wouldn't that just prove that God is even bigger than we were imagining him to be? That it it pushes our ideas of what God's concerned with beyond just humanity and the earth to, oh yeah, there's a whole universe out there that he created.
0: Yeah. 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 That's, that's, that's well said. Yeah. So, so Lewis is saying, oh, okay. Yeah. During my youth, And you can see this a little bit in the problem with pain, right? I and other people, other atheists objected to the idea of God because the universe is really, really big and really vast and really, really empty, right? And uh, and so we would say, okay, the cosmos is a really, really big place and we are teeny tiny compared to it, right? And it's if God were going to create life, wouldn't he kind of make Life more central and bigger? Why this vast cold dead empty thing? And and Lewis says, and now the argument's shifted ground, mainly because Hoyle has said that no, I think there probably are aliens. And suddenly people are saying, Well, you know, it's a little bit arrogant then to assume that God, the creator of the cosmos, would come to Earth. I mean, do we really think we're such a big screaming deal? And uh, you know, that's 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 either naive or it's or it's arrogant. Lewis says, well, this tends to be, you know, whenever there's a new scientific discovery of some kind or a new discovery of some kind, disbelievers and skeptics will seize upon it as proof that they're right, and Christians, often embarrassingly, will seize upon it as proof that they're right. And uh, and generally like both sides end up being in the same place that they were before, once We've all had time to digest it in kind of a more mature way. Just becomes confirmation bias, whatever the thing is. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Do you think that's been true with most scientific discoveries, as far as as far as you're able to tell? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. Because I saw like there's a. I think there's an ongoing crisis of faith with respect to revolu- revolution, revolution too, but evolution Yeah, where, you know, starting in the 19th century, a lot of really thoughtful Christians abandoned the faith or, or felt that, you know, science had kind of disproved God and, and you still like among Christians, especially that unlike Lewis assume that evolution means the Bible was lying which puts them like kind of more in Dawkins camp in terms of their premises and presuppositions and things like that but yeah you still see this sort of like real hesitance and and anxiety about evolution more so than I think most people would have about aliens I don't know
1: yeah actually that's a good that's a good point I wonder if maybe maybe what Lewis is saying is true of the new discovery at the time it's discovered. So, you know, Darwin comes out with whatever, or Copernicus and those, the Christians double down on what they believe. And those who want to disprove Christianity use it to double down on what they believe in that generation yeah but the but those discoveries actually do seem to have more profound effects probably in later generations like you're saying like it's still it's maybe more of an issue well i yeah i don't know if that's true either because well, yeah again growing up and maybe it was just the circles i was in but like back in the 90s creationism evolution was a huge thing but now it seems to be less so because I think more Christian theologians have been able to articulate that actually, that's not actually the same thing that Lewis is doing here with aliens. Actually, it's not such a disruptive theory to Christianity.
0: One of the things that Lewis emphasizes In church history and gosh, let's see if I can remember this right. In the in the Oxford history of English literature, Mm -hmm. I think was the one he emphasizes that it's not it's not so much discovering that the earth went around the sun that that like blew everybody's mind, but rather discovering that there were imperfections in the stars, right? That it was not Mm -hmm. this regular place where where everything turned at the same rate and where because because the way for so long, like from the Greeks on, the way that the Western world viewed the stars was this is how we, this is, this is what we use for reference to understand our own earth, right? It, it tells us when the seasons are, everything in the stars occurs with perfect regularity. And if it doesn't, it's a sign of something right? God's showing us something in the, in the heavens in that case and so when we're discovering you know sunspots or other things that seem to imply that beyond the sphere of the moon the heavens are still imperfect that was a lot more disruptive than mm-hmm. discovering that the that the earth went around the Sun because people didn't think the earth was so great in the first place yeah in in the medieval, Model and Lewis even he does not really care about the evolution stuff, but he really tries to like bring back the old medieval way of looking at the heavens, yeah. right? With the, with the earth as being like the dead center of the cosmos, and yeah, and and all these different you know spheres, crystalline spheres that the planets roll along, and the influences and things like that. But uh, yeah, because because yeah, I mean we do still, especially when science moves as quickly as it's moved in the last few hundred years models a lot of times like can't be adjusted quickly enough especially when science sort of becomes the discourse that tells us what's real right and we have to you know we we can start to adjust by building aspects of the new stuff we know into our sort of mythic understanding of the world but like, it'll just be displaced in like 10 years later, because it's just moving at such a rapid rate that it, it is disruptive. And I imagine, you know, if we, if a lot of people had a crisis of faith because of aliens and then tried to build a new worldview that included the aliens, aspects of that worldview would then be disrupted when we discovered more stuff about the aliens, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's. Strange, uh, the the sort of time that we're living in, and it doesn't show any signs really of slowing down. But uh, but yeah, that's not to say you know. I I mean I think I think Lewis's points here are make make total sense, and and that we need to consider these things rationally instead of just rushing around, you know, and in reaction to the latest thing that's been discovered supposedly. But uh, yeah, so he he tends to center objection to in the incarnation that. You know, critics of Christianity would say, well, why would God come here? You know, if there are other aliens, I don't know that I've heard that as much from, from skeptics. Normally it's just more relativistic. Usually when I hear people say like, oh, well, how, why would our God be the right God if there are aliens, you know, which, which is, I mean, it's not saying anything different from why would our God be the right God if there were like, you know, New Guineans, right. Or, or. Muslims or or whatever else, right? Uh, it's it's basically the, the same sort of thing, but but he's like, okay, yeah, that could be difficult saying the you know the, the incarnation, yeah, still still happened here, despite the fact that they're aliens. If we knew the answer to the following questions, so number one is there is there actually animal animal life on other planets? Doesn't matter if it's vegetable life, but is there animal life on other planets? Number two. If there is, do any of these animals have souls, like rational souls? Uh, And being kind of smart is not the same as having a soul, right? As 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 having a rational soul that you need to be able to apprehend what is good, and not just mean like good for me or good for my species, right? Which is which is similar, of course, to like these are the two types of good that Western and divine recognize, right? Divine cares about good for me. Weston cares about good for my species. But uh, yeah, what what do you think about that? Do you think, do you agree with Lewis that being able to apprehend the good is what makes a soul a rational soul? I'm not actually sure
1: what the right answer is there. (laughs) I, I feel like I should know because I've read enough theology that I should have a really quick definition for you on what a Christian ought to believe a soul is or how to define it, but I don't. But I do think at very least, if you go the route of scripture, I think he, he means whatever would be made in the image of God. Like that's what a rational soul would be or a spiritual being. Well, no, that can't be it either because angels are also rational souls. So let me get stick with Lewis then at least and we'll follow that trail. Again, he looks along this idea in Out of the Silent Planet and he talks about the Hinau And so whatever it means to be now, I think is also how he defines rational soul or a spiritual being. But it is kind of an interesting thing that he would throw in that dig there because it sounds like Weston and divine. Mm -hmm. Like you, you pointed out good for me, whatever means good for me, that's like divine or whatever is good for my species. That's like Weston. The danger there of what he's, I think maybe got himself into is that you could say, Okay, if if you're a human who just means by good something good for me, that you're not a spiritual being or you don't have right. a soul or whatever. But obviously, yeah. I don't think Lewis would would have carried that connection that far enough. But I think he is. It's like a warning, a warning mm-hmm. shot to say, look, if you're if you're headed in that direction, that's where you end up is becoming. Yeah. It, it's it's a similar thing to the whole great divorce. Um Mm -hmm. analogy, which is that if you head in this direction, you become nothing. You become a ghost. You become you've lost your humanity, really. I guess. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, absolutely. When when Virgil takes Dante to hell, he says these are the souls who have lost the good of intellect, Mm. right? That they have essentially, you know, lost their souls, right? Even Mm. though they are souls, they've they've lost that. Which in them makes them reasoning creatures, even though by all appearances they seem like they could reason. Right? They they tell stories to Dante. They try to trick Dante, things like that. It reminds me a little bit of of the animals in in Narnia, right? Who lose yeah. their ability to speak, yeah. After basically, uh, you know, it's a, it's a kind of oh, what's the type of punishment where you just get the thing that you wanted, and it also it, it absolutely connects with what the Oyarsa was saying about Weston divine and, and the, the Oyarsa even makes a difference between good for my species and good for me, right? Because Weston gets a little more credit than divine does. So the Oyarsa is like, oh, if divine were my creature, were my canal, I would just unmake him because he's completely lost. Yeah. Anything that could redeem him. But Weston, there's still some sense of duty there, right? There's still some even though even though it means that he does far worse things than than Divine does, there's still a sense of belief in something bigger than himself, right? His species. And yeah, but, but they are kind of on this hellward path, right? And they both seem to fall into it in the course of the ransom trilogy, where they where they have lost the they've rejected that for which their intellect was made uh, to the point that they lose the good of intellect. But yeah, that that's again, that's not to say that we are able to judge that right. I mean, in this life and the, these are, these are works of fiction and they're. Yeah. I, I
1: think the image there is good. And even the word you just brought up the unmaking of divine, like how oryarsa wants, will and can unmake them. But just that, um, that idea of, Becoming unmade. So you you are created as something. And then but you might be unmade. You might be uncreated. Like that's an interesting picture. And it just ties in, I think, with the there's a Platonic idea about well, it it finds itself into Christianity as well. I think it fits within Orthodox Christianity. And Lewis uses it, I can't remember how, but I think it's in mere Christianity, the idea of becoming. So we are, mm-hmm. but we're also still becoming and we're yeah. becoming what what we are becoming is like Christ, or at least all humans have the ability to become like Christ. And yeah. I don't want to spoil the whole essay, but at the end of this, he talks about those things with value are those who are, or might become sons of God. So just because someone's not a Christian or, or even broader, not a spiritual being the question is can they become that yeah but that that gets in a whole other rabbit <laughs> opens up a different kind of worms maybe. really does <laughs> really
0: does and it's it's probably going to be worth talking about because because yeah lewis's view of humans and their role in the story of sort of cosmic redemption is really interesting and original it's it's by no means just sort of yeah Human nature, like you're saying to Lewis, is not static, and neither is animal nature. And and he argues in The Problem of Pain that animals become more themselves in the presence of humans, or a lot of them do. And you also have, of course, in Perilandra, which we haven't gotten to yet in this podcast, you have the the lady, Tinadril in Perilandra, who treats the animals in such a way that they possibly are on the in the process of becoming not now but more intelligent right the, the tame beast is the way that beast should be in a perfect world and and again Lewis suggests the problem of pain possibly even in an imperfect world Yeah, so in order for aliens existing to pose any kind of threat to our faith, the questions, are there actual aliens on other planets? No, ne- needs to be settled. Also, do these animals have rational souls? Also, if they have rational souls, are they fallen like us? Because if they're not, then there's no reason that God shouldn't have paid us the special favor of incarnating on earth and not on their planet because the incarnation of course it's not a it's not a compliment to us it's like oh yeah those guys over there were so bad that god had to actually go and visit them in human form and die for them right so it doesn't actually you know there's no arrogance in saying that that God in, in the incarnation and passion and resurrection favored us, if, if he favored us, it's not because we're better than those aliens or, or whatever else, it's because we're a lot worse. And then number four, if any of them have fallen, are they unable to be redeemed by what Christ did? And I'm not sure in this fourth point, if he's talking about what Christ did on our world or like... A sentence later, after he mentions the capital P passion and the capital I incarnation, right? Which would seem to refer to Earth, he talks about, you know, well, couldn't God have saved them in some way that maybe we don't even recognize, right? And 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 kind of their own sort of form of passion or incarnation or whatever else, if they are fallen. And and then that kind of goes into point number five is it really likely that if they're fallen, they would have been denied whatever sort of redemption they needed. God does what he needs to do in in the case of each you know each each person and each each race. So yeah points three, four and five. Uh, do you have any thoughts about those? My first
1: thought is just that i I have loved this ver this line since I've read it which he says, the divine charity is as fertile in resource as it is measureless in condescension. And every couple of weeks, that idea has come back to my head over the last mm. year since I read this. And it's, yeah. just, it's a beautiful thing to meditate on and, and take away with yeah, for one's own relationship with the Lord <laughs> to remember that he's fertile in resource and measureless in condescension. Condescension is always that a strange. I mean, we we think of it as a negative thing that someone would condescend to you, but just that. I mean, that's the gospel that Jesus condescended that God became man. And Lewis is just saying his his ability to get lower is measureless, and that's what we see yeah. during during the Passion Week is this walk into Jerusalem, and then, you know, Christ everything about the Last Supper, he takes his his robe off, he, he washes their feet. He And then he, the next day, Good Friday, he goes to the cross and is tortured and all those things, just measureless in condescension. It's a great, great phrase. And one of those Lewis turns of phrase that I think just sticks with you and is really, really excellent, comes out of this this lesser known work that I think should be more well-known. There's so many good phrases from obviously his better known stuff, but that's one that I love from this. But my second thought would be just the idea that he's raising here that perhaps God's found a way to be incarnate or bring redemption to other worlds. And obviously he, he does this imaginative supposal of what would it be like for the son of God to be incarnate in Narnia and we see that in Aslan, and the idea—I think—in Paralandra we have a some somewhat of a carrying out of redemption being brought to to Venus through ransom.
0: Yes, even, um, even maybe
1: before the fall or as the fall yeah, is happening. It
0: it well, I mean, it, it doesn't happen because ransom is there in, in Paralandra, right? But. So, so ransom is God's agent, sort of in Paralandra. One of the one of the things that said, and I know I'm not going to be able to find this, so I don't even know why I'm looking. But one of the things that said is that you know, if they had fallen, there would have needed to be a greater redemption even than in than on Earth. Oh yeah, where something like the passion resurrection would have needed to happen in Perlandra except like greater than our own passion and resurrection as something mm-hmm. that's three-dimensional is greater than something that's two-dimensional is really really interesting idea but but yeah, Lewis is definitely not against the idea that God ministers to you know to to people exactly as He's needed to minister to, to people, Uh, which is interesting. And I think, I think it's, it's very, it's very possibly true. I don't think it's the only take that Christians could have on Mm. what we owe to aliens, if there are aliens and if they are fallen, especially, Mm. Uh, I think a case could be made for some kind of missionary efforts based on uh, uh, based on an idea that Jesus died for the whole world. And regardless of whether your ancestors happened to inhabit a garden or not, uh, if you are fallen, his his redemption is for you too. Because mm-hmm. the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, uh, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And, and Lewis makes makes mention of that verse as well. But, uh, but yeah, he, he goes on and he's kind of like, well, you know, if God decides to work some sort of redemptive act through us, it doesn't mean that we're really important. The stable wasn't very important either. And that's where God decided to, you know, be born. But only in the case in which God was working some kind of redemption through humans, which is yeah, we, we can get to we can get to that. He's 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 wonderfully vague there. Uh, and, and and like with good reason, but it's still like uh, only in that case would it not be a calamity, right? In most other cases, if we were to encounter an unfallen race, it would be calamitous. It would be terrible. We have that you know, paragraph that I read at the top about the dream of exchanging thoughts with creatures whose thinking had an organic background, wholly different from ours, other senses, other appetites. But in reality, of course, it's probably really good that we're separated from aliens, not for our sake so much as for theirs, because we'd screwed all up. We even screw up our contacts with other fallen people on this earth. He says civilized man murders, cheats, and corrupts savage man. And and then the types of people who are ambitious enough to head out to other worlds would not be the type of people who would treat these other creatures very well, as he sort of shows in in Weston. If they and, and you know by they he means these kinds of people met an unfallen race Lewis is a lot more worried about that than whether this would make people less likely to believe in Christianity or whatever else, right? We we would we would do hurtful things as far as Lewis is concerned to you know to to good creatures. And then we'd feel bad about the hurtful things we did. And we'd send missionaries who'd screw things up even more. And it, it reminds me of of ransoms concerned about the hrasa, you know, or he's like, oh gosh, do I need to evangelize these these hrasa? And, and then he's like, no, no, actually they're evangelizing me. They, they have a clearer idea of the character of God than I do, right? And, and that's kind of where Lewis sort of brings things, right? He's, he's sort of like, okay, well, we need to decide right here and now that if that does ever happen, we need to be against all exploitation and all theological imperialism. It will not be fun, We shall be called traitors to our own species. We shall be hated of almost all men, even of some religious men. And we must not give back one single inch. We shall probably fail. Let us go down fighting for the right side. Our loyalty is due not to our species, but to God. Then he talks about like, you know, people with shells and tusks would still be our brothers if they're Christian, right? Or or if they are unfallen in a way that other humans or not. It's spiritual, not biological kinship that counts. And uh, yeah. And then he says space might might well be God's quarantine. And all that said, and thank God that we're separated from potential perfect aliens. And all that said, again, to come back to the initial point, not believing in God because aliens might exist is a little bit silly. If they did, it wouldn't be a theological problem. And, you know, even St. Augustine when he's talking about, because, because like, again, more things change, the more they stay the same, right? This is a problem that the early church dealt with because the Greeks believed that there were monstrous races on the margins of the world And, um, you know, creatures that maybe were human and maybe not. It's where the monsters in Beowulf were descended from, right? Because the medievals got their stuff from the Romans, got their stuff from the Greeks. So there's this lore of people with dog heads, right? And in fact, St. Christopher in the Eastern Church was thought to have been a dog head, a, a kind of cephali. Who, who was converted and, and ended up being able to speak human language as a result of his conversion. So, you know, this these problems or problems like them of like, what about like maybe rational people who are not really human? What about them? And are they objects of salvation? And, and Augustine was just kind of like, well, we'll figure that out when we get to it. We haven't yet. <laughs> So like, don't come to me talking about, well, what about the giants? Or what about the people with the really, really long ears that fold them around themselves at night when they sleep? Or what about the people who only live by smelling apples or the people who only have one foot that they hop around on and shade themselves with, which is exactly where Lewis got the uh, duffel puds from. But uh, yeah, but either way, all these embarrassing ideas can actually all be true. All these embarrassing suppositions can't all be true at the same time. They mainly are going to disrupt our faith as hypotheticals because when we worry about all of the things that could go against ourselves, our, our faith being true, God's not going to give us grace to deal with those things because they're all hypotheticals. They're not real, right? It's only for the real that God gives us grace, as He, you know, as Lewis says elsewhere in the screw letters. And there won't be conclusive, compulsive evidence on either side, because that's not what faith is about. It's not about, yeah, it's, it's, it's not about compelling someone to agree with you. So, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much the, the essay. I, I've i got, I've got some objections to what Lewis is saying here, and yeah. maybe you can, maybe you can talk me through these and, and. Uh, And show me why I'm crazy Uh, because, you know, I, I pretty much like, I'm kind of like you, Lewis's like, like most Christians really, I'm, I'm kind of like Lewis's yes, man. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Everything (laughs) you said is great. It's golden. It's it's perfect. Uh You know? And, And, and this, like, I don't know if it's just that, you know, the space trilogy is so dang thoughtful and imaginative that encountering this argument, like him kind of unpacking some of his philosophical ideas that went into the space trilogy without the imaginative sort of embodiment, I'm sort of like, well, yeah, I mean, like that felt really right in the space trilogy. (laughs) But -hmm. now that I look at the argument itself, I'm not so sure. Hmm. And I, I think, I think really it hangs on his idea that his sort of um, hypothetical, the like the hypothetical that he comes up with, which is that this is the way any kind of exchange or or interchange with aliens would go, right? And I, I, I don't know if it's just that he's doing it for shock value because like so often in in science fiction, we don't think about like, well, what if the aliens are actually better than us and shouldn't be? You know, and 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 would actually be corrupted by and exploited by us rather than attacking us, right? And maybe that that was just so interesting and shocking a thought in his time, like after H.G. Wells and all of that. That, but like now it's not shocking. Now we have so many movies, you know, looking at you, James Cameron, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. right? That 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 make exactly this case that yeah, yeah, we are we whoever we are, whether we mean the human race, whether we mean by Western. People, right? We are the bad guys. We've done these horrible things, and God help any, you know, aliens who cross our paths because we'd probably do horrible things to them too. And I think mm-hmm. there's like a little bit of wisdom in that, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. and and a recognition that, like, yeah, people are screwed up, and and you know, in Christian terms, fallen, right? Bent. It's also, I don't know it. It's this interesting thing that I see. As well in The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, where I wonder if Lewis or or like indeed, like if most Christians can figure out where we come down on when it comes to exploring and inventing and trying new things. Because of course, like going on an adventure or being really successful in war, even in a really just cause, like in World War II or, or, you know, or with the Ukrainians right now, or inventing a new thing of course those things cannot save our souls and in the long term even good works don't don't help us right and, and can actually corrupt us but at the same time there's a deep human desire and drive to innovate to find adventures like this is why you have stories of knights going out on, on quests and things like this and one of the things that that we talked about earlier this season when we talked about The Voyage of the Dawn Treader is, can you have your cake and eat it too here, right? Can you stay within the bounds of where we're supposed to be and not go any further and also do this very human thing of going past those bounds, right, and and, and, in some like positive way. So, you know, you've got this incredibly moving, stirring poem by Tennyson that I know Lewis Knew and must have loved because so many of the things that he's written in in the Voyage of the treader reflect it right. But but Ulysses is is kind of like you know I I I'm not going to just stay here on Ithaca. I'm going to go out and explore more right and 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 see these lands and 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 go beyond them right to sail beyond the margin of the world. But that very very inspiring poem is taken from. Ulysses' speech in Dante's Inferno where Ulysses is being tortured in hell as a false counselor and he gives that same speech to his men before they sail to essentially the island of purgatory where no humans are supposed to go on their own right unless they're like Dante <laughs> but but it's a you know but but Dante's whole thing is like stay in your place you you can't you should not go further than this so, so yeah, I, I wonder, you know, you can see it also in, in, in medieval form in in, in the character of the knight, right. Who goes on, on a quest and like often enough, of course, the knight makes a big mistake that causes harm, not only to himself, uh, but to others around him. And in some cases, like the mistake is so catastrophic, like in, 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 in Percival, right. Or in Evane, it it's really it's it's foolhardy and damages others and, and and the entire realm. But you also can't say that he wasn't supposed to go on on, a, on that adventure in the first place, right? And I, I don't think Lewis would say like, oh no, the, the knight should have stayed at home and should never have taken that adventure that was offered him. So I think there's a kind of dilemma here between deciding is going beyond the boundaries that have been set us in one way or another not not necessarily by god but just boundaries is that an essentially human thing to do because if it is then it should find expression in unfallen versions of humanity as well and not necessarily be wrong even when fallen humans do it in and of itself but or or is is it do you mean unfallen creatures yeah yeah or or like okay so if something is essential to to humanity like an essential part of humanity yes mm-hmm. it's going it's going to have been corrupted by the fall right everything mm-hmm. that is good in us has been corrupted in some way by the fall that doesn't mean it's unlawful but it does mean that we can desire to do it in degrees or in ways that are unlawful right exactly. because they interfere with our love for god and and our and our loves are improperly ordered as a result But, uh, and so like, is adventure one of those things, right? Is, is going out and doing something that no one's done before that everyone before has kind of said, no, no, you can't do that. Right. Is that essentially a product of the fall or is that something that's inherent in humanity? Because if it is something that's inherent in humanity, then you can't just kind of make this blanket statement of, Hey. Elon Musk, you better stop it. Right. You know, although I, you know, plenty of people feel like saying that to Elon Musk about a lot of things, Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but the, but, but yeah, telling him, you know, no, you know, don't, don't try to like turn us into a planet hopping species. Like that's stupid. We're all, we're all going to die anyway. What does it matter? But if it's in, if it's an inherent healthy thing for humans to do, to continue to explore, Right and to continue to try to do things that nobody's done before, then you can't just you can't just say, you know, stay in your allotted place, oh man, right? Because that's that's not the way God created us to be. And we we were created for adventure, right? And and yes, obviously, ultimately for spiritual adventure, right? But that doesn't mean that that impulse doesn't find expression in more terrestrial. Right or, or extraterrestrial ways. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know, do you have thoughts about that dilemma or, or what yeah what we're supposed to do as humans?
1: I think you've really well illustrated the <laughs> the problem with it the yeah, all, all the possibilities of things to think through. that's I think that I think you're right that adventure is and exploration are part of what part, they're good desires that are put in us for a reason. I think it's in the Proverbs that says that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of Kings to search it out. But also you're right to say that because we're all fallen, that our fallenness will result in disordered affections, disordered desires, and that Mm -hmm. everything that we want to do, we will want to do it to the wrong degree, the wrong way, for the wrong reason, the wrong at the wrong time. I can't remember. I know you already referenced that, but Lewis says that, is it mere Christianity, I think? Something like that. Something to that effect. If I don't know where he said it, I just say it's in mere Christianity. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's yeah, a pretty good bet. It's probably safe. Probably safe. Yeah. But uh, I, so I think Lewis's desire here and in and out of the silent planet i would imagine is just to recalibrate that desire and to maybe pull the 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 mask off the scooby-doo villain and see what's underneath and what's really behind what's going on because i think the wrong reason is like adventure and exploration are good godly desires or they can be but Here, I think Lewis is calling into question, what is the reason for our exploration and into space? And the reason I think Lewis would be against Elon Musk or just bring caution to Elon Musk is because he seems to be wanting to do space exploration so that when humanity finally destroys Earth as we are heading towards, it seems we can continue on the race somewhere else, which is something similar to what Weston wants. I think. Yeah. Yep. And I think Lewis just at least would, I think he just wants to throw out this question, which is why should we continue? Why do we find it inherently? Why is it common sense that humans should continue life, especially for, that's a question that he wants non-christians to consider and mm-hmm. he brings a, a very similar question to that up in the essays so either on the on uh, living in an atomic age or learning in wartime and it might be both actually yeah. which is just everyone's so scared of dying or of the human race you know blowing itself up if there's no god why would, why does it matter if we do that? It doesn't,
0: Yeah,
1: you know, we're nothing we have, we have no inherent value. And so I think the question he would bring with this essay to Elon Musk is, are you looking for salvation for humanity in the heavens? Mm -hmm. And to just remind Christians and maybe preach the gospel to those who are not Christians to say, what we believe is that salvation has already come from the heavens to earth mm-hmm. and we don't need to go anywhere to find it. Yeah. And if we did go somewhere to populate another planet and earth gets destroyed by, you know, human caused global warming or a nuclear bomb or another pandemic or endless civil wars, zombies, zombies. I love that one. And we go to this other planet and populate it. The problem we're taking the problem with us because we're the problem. Mm -hmm, So the problem mm -hmm. isn't here. The problem is us. We've got to look at ourselves and, and question our motives and our desires and all those things. So.
0: Yeah. That's really well put. That's well said. I have like 5 million different responses. All of them, all of them. You know, really not taking away from from the beautiful thing that you just said because I think that's something that's right on. There's a novel which I have not read all of because I don't know if it's it's possible, but it's it's one of the oldest novels in in Chinese really? called Journey to the West. It's about the search for the Buddhist scriptures, and it's this mythical, like by the time this is written down. In the 16th century, I'm going to get in trouble because I teach this, but I forget when. But by the time it's written down, this journey to get the Buddhist scriptures from India, from the West, is the stuff of legend. Mm -hmm. And not only did this reincarnated disciple of the Buddha undertake it, but also a little like pig demon guy, a monkey king. Uh, a a kind of troll dude, uh, Uh a horse that used to be a dragon. They all go with him. It's kind of like the wizard of Oz. Yeah. Uh, They have lots of movie. Yeah. They have, I, yeah, I would not be surprised unless I I think Disney is probably far too afraid of offending the Chinese, but otherwise I'm sure it would be a movie, but it's hilarious. It is a funny, funny novel (laughs) chiefly because the star of the novel is this monkey king guy named Pilgrim who becomes a, a Buddhist, but becomes a, like he starts out as stone, he becomes a monkey, and then he realizes that he's going to die one day, and that there's no point being the monkey king if you're going to die one day. So he learns Taoism, which at that time was thought to be able to make you immortal if you advanced high enough. He becomes mm. an immortal. He ends up in heaven. And then, like even in heaven, he's still scheming, right? He can't (laughs) stop, like his little monkey brain cannot stop trying to find a better deal, right? And 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 this results in him getting punished, thrown back down to earth, buried under mountain for five hundred years. At which point, he joins the party of of people like journeying to the west, right? But, but, part of the, you know, part of what you were saying there made me think of that because there is something, however happy we could become and however fulfilled we could become, I feel like there would still be something in us that like wanted to tinker with it, you know, <laughs> like, sure. like yeah. I mean, it's the garden of Eden problem, right. All, yeah. all over again. And I, uh, so, so that's, that's, that's one thought. And I, you know, I, I realized that like, that doesn't present any real problem to, you know, to the idea of heaven and to the idea, you know, it's it's just kind of like, oh, I don't know how this would work, but I believe that it would somehow, right? But this like kind of exploratory impulse that we have, right? There's also, I think we we view so much of what we do in negative terms, but in terms of like, well, how can we keep from dying? How can we do the least harm to creation around us? how could we do the least harm to possible aliens that we would that we would find there and again like I, when i talked to david c downing about this um he's like well like it doesn't really apply to the mars thing because there aren't any actual aliens on mars but uh, that fear uh, of of extinction right
1: yeah yeah the there. motive there I, I would just raise this is that it's not just about damaging the alien life but it's damaging the creation as well because in here, Lewis says, it's not just what we've done to other men on this earth, but that he says, even inanimate nature, we turn into dust bowls and slag heaps. Yeah. And so we could, we could still, you know, wreck Mars.
0: Right. <laughs> as well. Right. The planet. I think, so I, in that, in that particular paragraph. I really don't know that I agree with Lewis, mm. partly because I think if any species has a conscience about this sort of thing, it's us because we don't just think about what's good for us or good for our species, but what's good in general. And mm. I think we have, a I, I don't think it's fair to say necessarily like Charlie Brown, that everything i touch gets ruined right. right i i think when god put us in a garden and gave us dominion it matters that it was in a garden um he does say dominion over the whole earth right and maybe the implication there is that we would be able to turn the whole earth into a, a kind of garden but but there is a pruning work right and there is a an arranging work that i think humans can do and possibly even should do with creation despite the fact that they are fallen and despite the fact that they are often greedy and they often exploit things wrongly rather than rather than tending them and i think you know the environmental movement itself and the incredible traction that it's gained in most of the developed world is 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 kind of to me proof that again i'm finding all these like proofs that you know, for Christianity and whatever, you know, but it, it's proof that in some ways, um, not only are we set above creation in some ways, so that we feel it as a kind of blasphemy when we destroy creation. We we don't get we don't get really we don't get upset with like a you know dog or something for you know digging well we do when it's our yard but but, but for, for for destroying creation right but uh-huh. but we get we get upset with other humans and with ourselves because i think we have some kind of sense in us that we are meant to be stewarding it and that we are not just another animal in creation right we're not just a part of creation even though we are that but we've also been in some way set over creation so that like i don't i don't know that it would be that would be a terrible thing i mean from what I've been able to see, Mars does not... From what I've been able to see, from what I from what I know, Mars doesn't have organic life. Full stop, right? If we assume that organic life is better than inorganic life. I'm sorry. There's no inorganic life. If we assume <laughs> that organic life is better than no life, right? Mightn't it not be a worthy thing to bring life to a planet that does not have it in the same way that it is a worthy thing to write a book, right? Or write a poem Now we can say like, Oh, I'm destroying this piece of paper or, you know, I really should be praying instead of writing this thing or, or whatever else, but we create because God created it. And we're made in the image of God. And and I don't think it's necessarily setting ourselves up as gods to try to, you know, to try to make another world beautiful in some way, right? Or or and and the fact that we've often done poorly on this world, and I think especially modern architecture to me bears witness to to the fact that we don't care that much about beauty anymore. But I think we've had some successes too. And I, I think like Lewis. In making his point, which I think is a worthwhile point to make and to consider, I think he kind of shortchanges the degree to which God still works through people as messed up as we are. And and you know, and he worked through ransom in the space trilogy, right? So I think so much of our discourse is oriented towards fear and towards, oh, what if we screw up? You know, it'll be, uh, and and we just, there's no point even in trying to do great things because we're going to screw up. And anyway, it's not going to save us from extinction or from death, but maybe the impulse to do that, to do those great things, isn't to so much like make ourselves immortal, right? Although a lot of times the desire to do great things and the desire to make ourselves immortal are pretty closely entwined, right? Like in Gilgamesh, like that's, it's kind of like the same thing, right? Like Gilgamesh finds out, well, no, I couldn't prolong my life indefinitely, but I could build this city walls, right? But, uh, you know, to quote from Tennyson, death closes all, but something ere the end, some work of noble note may yet be done, not unbecoming men that strove with gods. The lights begin to twinkle from the rocks, the long day wanes, the slow moon climbs, the deep moans round with many voices. come, my friends, tis not too late to seek a newer world. Push off and sitting well in order, smite the sounding furrows for my purpose holds to sail beyond the sunset and the baths of all the western stars until I die. It may be and, and this is very reapachey, by the way, this isn't just necessarily Ulysses in hell, right? It may be that the gulfs will wash us down. It may be we shall touch the happy isles and see the great Achilles whom we knew, though much is taken, much abides. And though we are now, not now that strength, which in old days moved earth and heaven, that which we are, we are one equal temper of heroic hearts made weak by time and fate, but strong in will to strive to seek, to find, and not to yield. And again, That's totally, a lot of that is carnal, right? A lot of that is fleshly, a lot of that is pride. But I think there's something there that is redeemable. And I think there's something in that attitude that is not so much like, oh man, we just got to like stay one step ahead of death, but rather like, let's do something good for the sake of doing something good because that's the way people have been made and i think i think that's you know that doesn't necessarily mean you go and like enslave groups of people on other planets right because that's not good but it might mean bringing life to a barren planet right and and yeah like granted like we would not create a utopia and the harder we try to create a utopia the worse it would probably be i think there's a possibility that things would not necessarily be awful if, if we were to go to another planet or or even like, honestly, even if we were to go to another planet with other creatures, it would be a lot dicer, It'd be a lot trickier. I think a lot more secular people, unlike in Lewis's time, I think a lot more secular people would be like, no, 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 no. You stay well away from that planet and let's make laws that nobody goes there. Right. And I think Lewis is probably wrong to anticipate the secularists saying like, yeah, let's go extend humanity and kill all those, you know, people so that we can live on or, or whatever else. But yeah, I I don't, I don't think that necessarily there couldn't be grace there and, and, and there couldn't be something positive that would come even from that interaction, you know, anyway.
1: I think that's a really good point to, to point out that God still works. And God still can work because that you don't get that emphasis necessarily in this essay. The focus on God's grace or God's plan overriding our ability to God's redemption overriding our ability to mess things up. But but I do think that is what he's saying when he says that unless God works, unless yeah. It, God's sending us as missionaries, then it will just be, yeah. Vanity. So un- I guess yeah. unless there's grace, then it will just be total depravity.
0: Yeah. And also like he, he, he does such a good, yeah. He, he covers his bases to some extent in a vague way. Right. Because he's also yeah. like, but God saved them from our missionaries. He's <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's like, maybe yeah. there's some way that this would help, you know, bring God's grace to a greater number of people but you know, if we were to just send missionaries, that would not go so well because presumably God's provided for some way for them to be redeemed apart from us. Even though, like in Paralandra, it was the devil that was going through Weston to to Perilandra, and I guess you know, to be fair, it was it was also. The Eldola that sent Ransom to 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 sort of save the day, but but God working through humans, right there. Although, like again, that wasn't Ransom saying, "Oh, neat! I think I'm going to go to Venus. That'll be fun, right?" It's 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 more, you know, a divine mission. Okay, so here's a hypothetical, a further hypothetical that I think might be worth thinking about because the the analogy that he draws is between, he's drawing kind of an analogy between all the bad things that Western European colonists have done, right? Or, or colonialists have done in in various places throughout the world, right? And what humans might do to aliens, right? And in that analogy, you can see it very clearly in and Paral- uh, not Paralandra, but in Out of the Silent Planet as well, right? With, with Weston talking in Pigeon English or Pigeon Malachandrin to uh, to the Malachandrins. and and he's kind of he's kind of like, well, just, you know, just look at what we've done to these other people, even on our own fallen world. It, it would it would also be a big mess if we tried to go to these other planets, especially if there were unfallen people there and they were less powerful than us. And I, I you know that's all that's all fair, except like, I think when we look back on past colonial actions. We view the colonizers as being this whole one big group of like raucous Europeans who are like, like, <laughs> let's go out and conquer the world because we're Europeans and we're great right, and we're gonna subjugate everybody. But actually, like, it occurred in the context of of this intense competition between these different powers that that viewed themselves within Europe as essentially as far apart from one another as they could be like the Spanish were not the English were not the French, right. We're not the Portuguese. And it was more of a, Oh shoot. Well, if we don't get there, the Spanish are going to come and take our country, right. Because they'll have more resources than us. And that'll be the end of England. Right. So it's, 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 kind of similar, honestly, to the atomic bomb thing, right? Like, like we knew the Germans were working on this. We had to get it first, right? Regardless of whether we misused it, like the technology, the reason we reached for that technology is because we are like, well, worse actors, would, would you rather have the atomic bomb in possession of the Nazis? Not me. Right. Yeah. Or um, AI right now is the yeah, question. Should we yeah.
1: like, if we stop doing it because it's dangerous, someone else is just going to do it and then right. use it against us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I don't think that's entirely, yeah, I I don't think that's an, it's, it's entirely incorrect, right? And, And, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong there, but so if we were to discover alien life and if, if the alien life was in some way vulnerable, right. And not these like little things that are moving around or whatever they are with like superior technology to ours, if, if that's mm. what it is, right? But if the alien life was vulnerable, you know, Lewis is kind of like, okay, we need to make like kind of a pledge now or a stand now and say, we will not interfere. You know, we'll observe the prime directive and even more so than the Star Trek people did. And we won't even go there. But I think in some ways that's naive because it's assuming that there's this sort of like one world government or something like that, that is about the good of humanity. And mm. in fact, what we have is we've got a bunch of empires all over the world We've got, you know, Americans, we've got Canadians, we've got British who are all kind of like allies. But then we've also got the Russian Federation who are doing things that we would kind of call into question morally. And then the Chinese as well, who have, you know, as far as we know, concentration camps and other creepy things going for them. And I don't mean to say the Chinese as though this is what all Chinese, I mean, I'm the CCP, right? The the Chinese Communist Party. But if we were to find out that there's you know aliens on other planets, would it be the prudent thing to hold back and say, no, everything I touch gets ruined? If the Chinese communists and the Russians want to go up there and you know do whatever they do, that's fine with us. We're out. We've made enough mistakes. Mm-hmm. Or do we say Uh, somehow I suspect that Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping do not have these aliens' best interests at heart. Maybe we should get into this space race as well and like go to these other planets and try to mitigate some of what we think the damage might be, right? Yeah. So I feel like in some way, that's, that's a more likely moral quandary that we'd face as earthlings what do you think the right call is to make there <laughs> i have no idea <laughs> nobody's ever had an idea and then and then yeah. we look back on it and we're like oh man those earthlings they were terrible look at all the bad stuff they did And it's like mm-hmm. they were trying to outcompete each other anyway yeah no. yeah i just think that
1: well yeah i think that is a different scenario than than he's has in mind here yeah And it's definitely one I think he would have loved to write another essay from that, (laughs) going at it from that angle. uh, Because I think it's a whole nother set of
0: problems and and issues and considerations. And I'm surprised he didn't because they had just won a war against Nazi Germany, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, like it's not like it was inconceivable that the Nazis would go up there and And, you know, and, and, and mess with the inhabitants first. Right. Uh, But I think,
1: I think maybe what he's, what this, the, the occasion for this essay is those who are saying we should do it because we're the good guys and we have good intentions. And he's critiquing maybe his own culture even to point out that we shouldn't feel so superior. Maybe even on the back of a world war where it's like, we stop the bad guys. We yeah. stop the Nazis, those wicked people. He's going, okay, but that doesn't mean that everything we do is good. Right. 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 And yeah. so I think maybe he took one side in this argument in this scenario for that reason, because, because the other side, <clears throat> you know, in what was it, what are his initials? Hoyle FB, FP.
0: Where yeah. the scientist was Fred Hoyle. Fred B Hoyle, F F F. B Hoyle.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Big bang guy. Yeah. If he's saying, well, we should do it because we're the good guys and we'll be able to do good things and, and making that argument. I think Lewis is just bringing a critique against that one argument and saying, maybe we shouldn't assume that it would be good for us to explore space or that it would be good for us to populate other planets, or it wouldn't necessarily be good if there's right. other aliens if there are aliens that we are stronger than and they don't immediately kill us that's not necessarily all good either and i think some of i would imagine some of our familiarity with what lewis is saying is because we're we're you know 80 years past this essay maybe not quite that much because this was a later one of his but things have changed to the point where a lot of people like you're saying some secular people would go non-christians would go to these other planets and say hold on we've got to protect these precious creatures and valuable Mm -hmm. creatures or this valuable planet and and the environmentalists would go and do that for mars Peta might go and do it for the aliens Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but i don't think lewis i don't think those ideas were as popular in 1958 when he wrote this essay or in 1938, when he wrote out of the silent planet. Right. And especially like, like you said, avatar is that's just how we think. It's the Mm -hmm. assumption now that if we went and encountered other alien species or another planet, it's our assumption that we're going to go and bring capitalism and commercialism to this planet and just mine it and destroy the planet. And these Aliens are maybe actually better than us and we have something to learn from them. But yeah, up until that point, science fiction wasn't depicting aliens like that and wasn't depicting humans as the bad guys. Yeah. And I don't know enough science fiction to know if Lewis was the first or even a primary author who changed science fiction and changed that about science fiction. Yeah. But at the end of Lewis's essay on science fiction, he says that he intentionally tried to change that about the genre. Yeah. And hopes that he will have had that effect on the whole genre. And so I don't know if other people get credit for that as well. But in some way, I think maybe Lewis is responsible for Avatar. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. and, And that you know that yeah even even shows like i don't know other science fiction that goes along with that idea yeah. that maybe humans are less than the good guys or were the anti-heroes sometimes yeah
0: yeah yeah i yeah i don't know i think you're right that lewis you know, when, when he's writing the space trilogy and even when he's writing this essay, it's a revolutionary idea, or I should say probably just a very unusual idea because I don't know how much influence Lewis had on popular science fiction. Most sci-fi writers in his time seem to be a little bit annoyed with him for (laughs) writing science fiction from a Christian perspective, Uh or or at least a a lot of them. I, I think it's, like i think part of what lewis is doing when he's reacting against new things right that are sort of characterizing a lot of these intellectual movements cultural movements that in part spawned the nazis but in part spawned other things um, that that were perhaps less sinister this this sort of scientism for the sake of humanity right he's you know he, he views this as the natural enemy of the faith right because it's it's such a such an important such a prominent way of viewing things it's not at odds i think in a lot of ways with the british idea of empire and it's also not at odds necessarily with while a lot of it is i think communist rather than capitalist it's not anti-industrial but lewis himself is is pretty you know being a conservative he's anti-industrial he's also i think being irish and despite the fact that his brother is an officer in the Navy, he seems to be anti-imperial, which are both things that I think Western civilization, f- through other routes, I think, and not all of them necessarily Christian or, or even necessarily, I think, terribly good, have have also sort of come around to that way of thinking so that like now like the main way that you could sell c.s lewis to a non-christian is being like look he was all about the environment and he you know he <laughs> he was anti-colonial you know just read uh-huh. his, just read his books but i think insofar as both he and like whoever it was that influenced james cameron to do avatar however far back, right, that they stumbled on similar I think truths. it was Pocahontas. Yeah, right. That's what, that's uh, or, what inspired Or him. Dances with Wolves uh-huh. or, or any number of other sort of noble savage ideas, right? I mean, maybe really you just trace it further back to Rousseau and to some of the romantics, right, that influenced mm-hmm. both Lewis and the hippies. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of, kind of viewed civilization as being the problem rather than the solution. Right. And even civilization as being the sort of real fall. Right. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 it's interesting. It's uh, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't know that I totally agree with all of the broad sweeping statements that, that Lewis makes here, or even in the space trilogy, but it's, it's, I think as an apologetic point, it's a great, you know it's it's a good point uh, and uh, yeah obviously like we shouldn't discount christianity on the basis of something that has not happened yet and for all we know probably never will yeah. uh, although <laughs> although again you seem, you seem to believe that it that it may happen <laughs> i think the like, claim might
1: come out uh, and yeah, we just yeah. won't have the you know technology as as random uh, normal yeah. everyday citizens to prove
0: disprove that you know there are not aliens yeah i would just be really i'd be so interested to see how an independent intelligence like what that would look like how that i mean arrival does a really good job of yeah. of, of kind of thinking about that it's a fantastic movie about like okay if there were aliens we cannot assume a kind of simian brain right mm-hmm. uh, or even anything that corresponds easily to the way we think so if they had technology, they would have had to arrive at that technology through some other means, some other sort of developments and 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 maybe they'd even have a different perception of time, right? But but yeah, I think it's it's based on a, a great short story by a great sci-fi author called Ted Chiang, which I encourage everyone to to check out. But uh, all right, so we've talked for about two hours, and I'm sorry that it's, it's, like know, it's been this long. <laughs> it doesn't feel like it's been this long, but I think uh, the essay, take 16 minutes to listen to yeah on yeah but thank you so much for your time and for, and oh, for talking to me about this essay and i'd love to do it again sometime soon mm-hmm. uh sometime this summer if you're up for it although that all is contingent on circumstances so jordan duncan thank you so much for joining us listeners please go and check out Lesser Known Lewis it's a great podcast and if you enjoy this conversation chances are you'll really enjoy Lesser Known Lewis um, so, so check it out and uh, Jordan a pleasure as always listeners thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time All this encounter full of joy and scheduled on the decent plan with here an addict of Tolkien there a Charles Williams fan